Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. It's a brand new week here at Political Rewind. We're very glad to have all of you with us. Hope you had a terrific weekend. Um, and uh, uh, you got some chance to rest, relax a little when you're covering or looking at political news day in and day out. Jim Galloway, you don't get much of a rest at all. The weekends are not the weekends anymore. Nevermore. <laughs> That's Jim Galloway, of course. He is the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You read him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the uh, newspaper, and he oversees the Political Insider blog at uh, AJC.com. Boy, Rome is in the house. Rome, Georgia, (laughs) in the house for today's Political Rewind. Uh, Representative Katie Dempsey, who represents the 17th District? 13th. Lucky 13th. Okay, 13th District, which encompasses the city of Rome and at least a good chunk of Floyd County, right? It does, yes. You are a member of the Appropriations Committee. You're on the Rules Committee. Uh, you have had a number of leadership roles on the uh, GOP uh, caucus in the House. So it's really a pleasure to have you here today. Oh, thank First you. appearance as a full-time panelist on the show. Well, thank you for the invitation. Uh, and sitting across from you uh, is Wendy Davis. Wendy, of course, is a city commissioner in Rome were, were you at one point on the commission? She was. Katie? I was. I was on the city commission. Were you two, uh, did you serve together? We or did you not. missed each other? We missed no, each and other. And I served when there was only one female, so it was a very unique time. I was the second female to serve. Wow. So, yeah, we kind of helped plow the field that needed to be. Wendy Davis is a Democratic uh, political consultant. She uh, is on the DNC uh, executive committee. Not the executive committee, but just... You're a member of the DNC. DNC. You will most likely be a delegate to the Democratic National Convention next summer. I'm a delegate with no vote in the first round. Oh, perfect. (laughs) And uh, because you're a super delegate? Because I'm a super delegate. All Uh, DNC members are. And uh, you've been active in Democratic Party politics in Georgia for a long time. Very long time. Katie Dempsey, of course, is a uh, Republican. uh, So we have a balanced panel today. Before we launch into our conversations today, I just want to take one minute if I can. I want to, I was really uh, thrilled. Friday night, the uh, National Association of Television Arts and Sciences Southeast Chapter held their annual Silver Circle Awards, which are given to people who have been involved in broadcasting for 25 years or more and who have done work that doesn't stink. (laughs) And uh, I was really honored to be one of the people who they selected to be a recipient of the Silver Circle Award. But but just as important are the people who are with me. Name some of the names you'll all know across the state. Carol Sparge at Channel 2 in Atlanta, who I worked with for a long time, was uh, inducted into the Silver Circle. Dana Fowle of Fowl of, of uh, WAGA, uh, Fox 5. Uh, but across the state, uh, for those of you who listened in Savannah, Craig Harney was inducted. Uh, so was Barbara Gautier, who is a very popular anchor down in Columbus. Uh, those are just some of the people. Um, Jennifer Rigby, who is the news director at Channel 11 here in Atlanta. So I, I just, it was a lovely evening. I was really proud that uh, Tom Faust and Robert Jimison were there tonight because they share in whatever work we're doing here that matters. And uh, so I want to thank Natus for what was a lovely evening and uh, an award. I'm really, I don't like awards, but this one I'm kind of proud of. All right, enough said. Uh, let me start, Katie Dempsey, if I may, with you, because you're... You've been starting to meet to work on issues of mental and developmental health for infants and toddlers in Georgia. What Help us understand, so we can all talk about this, what exactly are you looking at? And before I say that, I'll say congratulations. Oh, to thanks. You. It's a great award. It just means I'm well old. Deserved. Well deserved. Grown up. That's the word I like okay. to use. You're a grown up now. Okay. Um, You know, the study committee that began last week on social infant toddler um, 
emotional development, it's so important. That is what leads to the mental health challenges ahead in the future. It began probably with the thought long ago that a child can't sit in their seat, but it's much more complicated than that today. And when we talk about those smallest, youngest of babies, and you think, well, they don't really have any issues. Somebody's loving on them and taking care of them. Not always. And that's often where it begins, not having the eye contact, truly not being held, not being read to or sung to or communicated with, and beginning those just what might seem like very normal, but if missing, can lead to some large disparities in development. There was a time when we thought it was year five, but now the reality is that evidence-based science work shows that at three years old, there are windows that have closed, and the opportunity is much harder to develop to be a healthy, well-balanced adult one day, and not only to thrive, but to survive in certain instances. You are the chair of this subcommittee that's looking into these issues. So very quickly, before we uh, ask uh, uh, for uh, Wendy and uh, Jim Galloway to get involved here, what can legislators do to improve outcomes for the youngest uh, children in Georgia? Well, certainly we need to grow our health care providers at all levels, but in this area particularly. There are many programs that exist in communities and also some statewide programs um, that help, but we need to strengthen and encourage those in many ways. It's often some of the reasons that we lead lead to children in foster care or one day that child grows up to be an adult that may be part of our criminal justice system. So it's, it's very vitally important that working on that brain development, realizing it, embracing it, and how many brain neurons develop every second in those early years that we are feeding and nourishing the brain as well as the child. You know, Jim Galloway, go ahead. I was going to, if, if I, you mentioned the doors that close, even at three years, what, what doors are those? You know, it has to do with the architecture of your brain. The brain can actually physically be smaller if it is not stimulated and challenged. And if there is not that human contact, eye contact, children don't develop language skills. And I mean sometimes zero language skills if they are not actually looked in the eye and spoken to and have that one-on-one feeling, even though you're tiny, that value that comes from that relationship. It stimulates your brain. You know, Jim, it's fascinating to me that the goalpost on when we need to start working with children keeps moving to earlier and earlier ages. You and I remember well that Zell Miller, when he was governor in the early 1990s, uh, was dedicated to expanding pre-K. Pre-K was one of the most important elements of the uh, uh, money that came out of the lottery because we, we, we realized the science told all of us in those days that you had to start a child in pre-K if you expected him to develop beyond that. Then Zell Miller took <laughs> I know where this a is step going. early be, to go to younger kids. What did he do in one of his state this of was, state this was, this was He was he wanted to give every every mother and every newly born child a, a Mozart CD <laughs> yeah, yeah. on the theory that listening to, to, to too many notes was actually helpful for the brain. Yeah, I, well, I me- it was, it actually. It is. Um, uh, Wendy, I want to get you in here, but I did mention to Galloway before the show started, you know, we all kind of chuckled when uh, uh, Joe Biden in the uh, Democratic presidential debate last Thursday night at the end said, he, you know, young mothers should be uh, turning on the record player for their children. I said, this is now 2019. Even Zell Miller in 1992 understood it was going to be a CD, not a record. Right. Wendy, your thoughts on all this? Well, and first of all, it's 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 good that we're looking at the science and understanding the architecture of the brain. And and the the article you sent as sort of a background on this too talked about um, the connections that are being made. Um, we talk about language development, but we also talk about the trauma that and and we all think about the trauma of infants of. Unfortunately, we see too many children's children being killed, right, from um, being abused in a, a very dramatic, um, horribly violent way. But there are little dramas and little traumas that happen, and we're finding the science behind what it does to the brain chemicals and how, again, it can cause uh, damage that 
builds on itself. And uh, and it's it's really something we need to be understanding more clearly and looking to be able to have the resources for families to diagnose their children earlier and to have treatment options earlier. And also, more importantly, to make sure we're doing, I mean, everybody sort of assumes women have been having babies for, you know, eons. So everybody knows what to do when you have a baby. Well, I I bet everybody doesn't know exactly what to do when they have their baby. And so taking care of mothers is super important. And and I'd love to, if it fits in somewhere, we have an exciting uh, three-year-old program in one of our schools. That's oh, go a ahead. Terrific public-private <laughs> partnership that I'd love to brag about. Uh, the South Room Early Learning Center is a really innovative program between uh, the School of Ed folks at Berry College and our Rome City Schools. And we are now in our fifth year of that program. It's got a three-star quality rating. It's considered daycare, but it is so much more um, than daycare. Um, all of the children who have been in that program so far are meeting uh, the standards and expectations. And that first class are now in second grade and they're outperforming their peers. So, Katie, this is the sort of thing you're talking about. You hope that your subcommittee can be looking at and uh, uh, suggesting to parents around or trying to, to help uh, communities around the state develop programs like this. Similar. And um, I think each individual community might have their own ideas of what might fit best. But it it all fits in the goal of helping Georgians grow up to be as strong and stable and healthy and have as many opportunities as they can. That early intervention, proper diagnosis, learning coping skills, recognizing the trauma that is there and sometimes the trauma that is even before birth. It happens before, the children that are born to mothers who have uh, faced drug addiction, mm-hmm. who also themselves are in possible violent and unsettling situations, children in the womb and then certainly once born become a part of all of that. It's in their chemistry. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what a legislative committee can recommend in terms of state action on this. How does your, uh, what's the timeline for what you're working on right now? We'll finish this up uh, in November and have a report ready for the legislature in December and take a look at it. But there are, there are some coding issues involved in billing. Many of the services are not being carried forward because there's no way for the provider to be reimbursed. So some of that, how early can we go? Um, uh, you know, pre-K is good. And is there three? Is there two? Is there yeah. certainly our quality rated daycares have become very important across the state and good for parents to recognize that there are differences in where they take their child. Jim, there's another important health uh, issue that's going to be uh, get moving this week at the Capitol. Representative Sharon Cooper is uh, chairing a committee that's going to look at the terrible statistics we have in the state of Georgia of maternal mortality rates. Women who are pregnant, women who give birth. We have some of the highest rates in the country. And I think if you look at African nations, we are up there with some of the poorest third world I, I countries. Think we're, I think we're above Turkmenistan or Uzbekistan. I can't remember which one, but it's, oh, okay. one, of, it's okay. one of those. Uh, and it's look, it's 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 the fact that we've got a we've got a a a a, a, a rural the the rural part of Georgia is is kind of spinning out of control without 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 health care. I mean, you've got half counties without an OBGYN. You've got maybe uh, I think we have a few more. We have maybe 50 counties out of the 159 without without any doctor whatsoever. And, you know, if if you if you don't get that upfront care, you could have complications and and mothers die as a result, specifically African-American mothers. Yeah. Um, Wendy, so this issue of uh, maternal mortality came into play in two different ways during the legislative session, last couple of them, actually, certainly in terms of what Jim just mentioned, rural health care, the fact that we just don't have enough doctors and uh, and other health care providers in many rural communities. But then it also came into the debate about uh, HB 481, the bill that virtually outlaws abortion, as people on your side of that fight were saying, why don't we focus more on fixing that problem instead of uh, the issue of abortion? Speak to us about those things. So um, when you have the U.S. being the only uh, first world nation where the maternal mortality rate is increasing, Somebody needs to be paying attention. And when Georgia is at the top of that bad list, 
we've got to dig in. What's the most horrifying? I mean, those numbers are on their face horrifying. It's more horrifying that African-American women are three times more likely to die in childbirth than white women. But 60%, the statistics show that 60% of those deaths are preventable. And the example I use to try to make people understand this better is the Serena Williams example, right? She nearly died after having her baby. You could not find someone who had did, had less resources, right? She has practically unlimited resources. I'm sure she had great insurance, but her doctors, the staff weren't listening to her. She basically had to like demand that they listen to her, that what she was feeling wasn't right. So there are states that are taking this on and the way to take this on is to not reduce resources, but to increase resources and it can increase the trying to grab a hold of it and change it. And it can be changed in hospitals. They're doing it in California now and making great progress. Yeah, I think that's I think that's going to be the key to see what what I think the the, the committee is due to come out with a report by December. Uh, in time for the the January session, it'll be interesting to see what they what they recommend because you're, we're working in a climate right now where resources are being trimmed yeah. at at many many levels in state government, not not expanded. And, uh, and that list included the mor- mor- maternal mortality work that's already being done by the Department of Health. That list I saw that y'all sent out mm-hmm. said that's one of the things being cut. Katie, you're not a member of Sharon Cooper's group, but you did say to us before the show got on that this is an, an area that interests you enormously as well. Most definitely. Um, uh, a good, healthy start is very important, and a healthy mother is the best pathway for that. You know, we have done... A good bit over the years. Don't get me wrong. The numbers are heartbreaking. And depending on how you look at the statistics, some some places we're not exactly last, but we're certainly way too low, and we need to improve without a doubt. Last year, I was appointed by the National Conference of State Legislators to be a part of their first fellowship class that looked at maternal and infant mortality across the nation. So shared and exchanged with legislators from all over our nation, House and Senate members, and a few staff members around very informative how different states are dealing with it, how different states also have lower birth rates than Georgia in some places, which, you know, that is concerning. The more children we have and the more pregnant mothers we have, the greater the challenges are, of course, to deliver services, but also just the different ways that they collect the data. And data is a challenge for Georgia. So last year, I actually did carry, and it was signed, a bill about data. And that is going to help us from the budget to this issue to anything we look at in the future. I think that um, with funding... Governor Kemp will begin to use this as a great tool to really get us to the reality of real-time numbers in Georgia and the evidence-based work that holds ahead for us to really advance to. But how do you address any of this if if you don't look at um, the broadest possible expansion of Medicaid? And I, I mean, and this is what an, an issue that many Republicans uh, have just held the line against. The governor mm-hmm. certainly doesn't want to do it. But um, it, it, isn't it inevitable that if you really want to improve those outcomes that we need the broadest expansion of Medicaid possible? You know, that might be the easiest answer. It might seem like the easiest answer. But just because we have it would not mean that anyone would get services. We have to have those providers, those doctors in place. And we do not. Even if Medicaid today, if the floodgates were opened, yeah. there would not be access I, I, to the service. Did Jim, that is a point. I mean, you know, so many of these issues come back to the biggest issue confronting the legislature of all in many ways. What do we do about rural Georgia improving the economies of communities across rural Georgia, which could lead to more health services being available, more employment? I mean, it, this it just shows you what a big issue this really is, and the legislature's tried to grapple with it with not as much success as they'd all yeah, like. And you've you've got an effort by by Brian Kemp, uh, I think, in just in the last yeah. two weeks to set up a something called a rural strike force, yeah. just to find out whether there's. I, I, I my, my guess is that it's something that would 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 uh, would uh, perform some triage in 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 rural Georgia to, f- to figure out what places can be saved. And and with you know where where do you start? Where, 
Where do you, do you do you start with the big problems or do you start with the little problems and fix those first? Uh, let's do this. Why don't we get an early break out of the way? Because when we come back, we've already talked about spending money on a number of programs, and we're going to look at what's happening right now with uh, uh, Governor Kemp's efforts to get uh, state agencies to reduce their budgets and how that's going, what budgets it's going to affect, and we'll do all of that more after this message. Are you thinking of getting rid of your old car, truck, or RV? GPB's Vehicle Donation Program is here to help. Donating has never been easier. We'll take care of everything, including free pickup of your vehicle. Just go to gpb.org cars or call 877-GPB-1-CAR. That's 877-472-1227. And thanks so much. Critics say government officials allowed America's opioid epidemic to continue for decades, even after drug company executives admitted to wrongdoing. They're keeping all internal documents confidential. It's bad for the public. It's bad for public safety. How the government let Big Pharma sell more opioids even as overdose deaths soared. This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Join us for All Things Considered this afternoon from 4 to 7 right here on GPB. So while we were in that break, I got a note from our uh, frequent panelist, Jackie Gingrich Cushman, uh, who, as you all know, comes in here with some regularity, uh, saying she's going to be on Sean Hannity tonight. She's got a brand new book called oh. Our Broken America. Uh, not, no surprise that she would be doing. I think this is her big debut with this book. And, of course, Sean Hannity and her dad are close and have been for a long time. But good for Jackie. And I use all that to say Jackie will be talking about her book on this show on Friday. So Sean gets her first, but we get her with more substance of that. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Jim, what is going on right now with the state budget? First of all, just the gymnastics of what's happening. Governor Kemp, it's now been quite a while since he told state agencies 4% reductions for the to the supplemental budget. In other words, the budget we're in right now. Uh, and then next year, 6% in the 2021 uh, fiscal or 22 fiscal year right. budget, um, and he's doing he he he's doing it. We think because he's concerned there's going to be an economic slowdown. Some of the rating agencies have said good for him for getting out in front of this, but the signals we're getting from some leaders in Katie Dempsey's house are not necessarily overly supportive of what he's doing. Well, it's 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 gotten a little bit complicated. Of course, the, the House Speaker David Ralston wanted to wanted wanted as soon as uh, Kemp announced those cuts, he wanted some hearings. He wanted to hear from some department heads as to where those cuts were going to happen. Uh, and and uh, Kemp put the kibosh on that, although he has they, they, I think they've come to an accommodation at this point. Once once they figured out that the that the newspaper was going to do open records acts and uh, uh, open records requests and get that information anyway. So just to be clear, what what Ralston responded to the governor very quickly and said, OK, fine, we'll have our budget hearings earlier than normal. Right. Usually it comes the second week. The legislature is in Atlanta um, uh, and that would have meant that uh, agency heads would have paraded in to the uh, Appropriations Committee, the mm-hmm. Budget Committee, and we would have known what their plans were going to be right. for their cuts. Kemp preempted that. He said, no, 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 just send me your plans and we'll look at them but, here. But in we the still, I mean, look, I mean, you've got uh, 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 the largest part of the budget has been exempted, K through 12 funding, uh, and and uh, Medicaid has been exempted. But then you've got, you've got uh, agriculture, corrections, driver services, public health, public defenders, the Georgia State Patrol, the GBI, most of the Department of Natural Re- Resources uh, are all. Are going to be cut and, among admi- ad- and administration for public school systems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's basically the people who come in contact with the public. Yeah, you know, it's funny when I see Katie when I see driver services on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just one example of exactly what what Jim's talking about a customer service based organization. And I remember back to the days when Roy Barnes was governor, and even before that, when you used to go to get a driver's license, where you would stand in line for hours because there weren't enough people uh, to handle uh, the crowds that came in. And then it was Barnes 
who expedited that process and won so much praise. Of all the things that he did that might have helped him get reelected, it could have been that. Are we now with something like that as just one example of customer services in state agencies? Are, are you worried at all what's, what we're going to see happen? You know, I think the key word here is proposals. These are proposals. They're not cuts. We are getting prepared, and that is a wise thing to do. You know, there's certainly indicators on the national horizon that just by historical data, that it could be a time of caution for spending. And I think Governor Kemp made very clear in his campaigns that he is committed to not collecting more money than the state needs or spending more money and having us adequately prepared for any emergency, uh, whether it be a hurricane or just our other rainy day need. So I think we're doing an exercise right now. These are proposals. They're, this is what would you do if, yes, every agency was given a 4% marker for the 20 budget, which is now, and 6 for 21. Those are important and deep cuts. The reality, I think, will be that when we see, and we don't have that right now, we truly don't, they're broad, on the OPB site right now for for a purpose, for the governor to have that time. But I think when we see what they actually are, there may be some reasonableness to it, and perhaps we won't have to go as deep as the four or the six. I thought that was a really clever answer, Wendy Davis. (laughs) So so it was a a really fair answer, and and, and I will stand up for the legislature a little more. The legislature gets to to pass a budget that the, they have to hope the governor signs, right? So uh, to me, I feel this was a little heavy-handed executive, but he's got a good model for that right now. I, I want to give you a chance to keep talking, but I, I I haven't yet done what I always have to do when we talk about the state budget, and that's do the disclaimer, which is Georgia Public Broadcasting is, in fact, a state agency. I also have to add to that, none of our programming, including Political Rewind, On Second Thought, the programs we get from NPR, none of that is paid for by state funds. All of that, including my salary, comes out of donations from uh, foundations, from our listeners or whatever. So without that said, go ahead. So give generously. Yeah. That, 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 <laughs> our pledge drive happens to start tomorrow. That's Wendy. right. Well, give generously. It's important. Uh, you spend money on a lot of things uh, that don't necessarily give you as much wonderful content as this show does. Uh, so there you go. Um, I, you know, I think the the, the context... Um, uh, is a bit surprising, right? It's uh, you talk about the four percent cut. I saw the estimate was two hundred nineteen million dollars. Was that figure uh, the six percent cut? Then for the uh, following year is another three hundred ten million. Well, we just put five hundred million in the rainy day fund, and uh, two nineteen and three ten is. Close, we've got, we've close got to about we've got three billion. Almost, almost three billion. Yeah, in, in the, the rainy day three fund. Three billion in the rainy yeah. day fund. Is it too facile, Jim, to say this is an example of how President Trump has led by example in terms of executives saying, we'll take care of this? No, 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 no I don't think so. No. Well, first of all, first of all, uh, Kemp has, Kemp has uh, uh, Governor Kemp has a same power that every governor in Georgia has had in the past, and that is he sets the res- revenue estimate. Yes. So he can tell how much money there is to spend. So he will. That's 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 his mode of control uh, right there. I think what you're seeing in 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 the legislature is some concern. You know, you know, on the on the national level, you've got uh, you've got President Trump accusing uh, the media of of rooting for a recession because uh, that might make his reelection harder. I think you're seeing some some pushback in the legislature. Uh, 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 against a governor who is, who's who's warning about hard times to come, which could impact that same re-election, their their, their own re-election efforts. You pointed out in the jolt today, as part of uh, the Political Insider, that uh, Senator Jack Hill, head of the Budget Committee, on his side of the building, uh, had an interesting. Uh, comment. He he invoked the question about whether the tax cut that they passed this last session might, in fact, be having an impact on revenues, which are down. Which is an interesting thing for him and, to and, do, and especially because there is, you know, there will be another attempt to 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 cut that income tax rate again. I think it was uh, what twenty five percent, point twenty five percent of a, of a of a generally a six six percent flat fee, and there might be an attempt to cut it uh, to to whittle at it just a little bit more, Katie. 
I should say that uh, the first time we talked about this on the show and talked about the governor mm-hmm. saying, please don't state agency heads, don't go to those mm-hmm. hearings with your colleagues in the House. And in fact, you're on the appropriations committee, so you'd be sitting in those. Uh, the governor's office called me and they said, look, you have to understand this is the way it happens. Agency heads do submit their budgets to the governor's office first. I get that. But preempting the hearings, which you've always had, is a bit different. Well, um, we are exactly on the normal timeline for the governor to receive all that information. The reality is, though, that we, most of us, have not gone through a time where there was an announcement of cuts. So this is all new. We're in uncharted territory, and that's what the reality is. So the legislature, both House and Senate, wanting to know, what is some more reality in this? What what are yeah. we really doing? You know, there are always places. That is our job. When we go back and we do the amended budget, quite often it is built on funds that, you know, employees that were not hired and that they won't be hired in this particular amount of time so that we could use that salary that was built into a budget in another place. There may be buildings building space that is not being used. I look for us more to possibly be dealing with that same kind of measure as Governor Kemp goes through his first full budget cycle as well on a large, big, big budget. Um, as much of, you know, much of the indicators, as I say, are where we could face a challenging time. And I'm firmly committed to let's be prepared and not be caught off guard. Uh, Wendy, before we move on to an, another subject here, uh, it, it, the it, have you looked yet at the potential, and I could be asking Katie this question as well, but you're now currently on the city commission. Uh, what are you worried about up your way? Well, you know, things like um, the compliance officers in the Department of Revenue, that sounds like an odd thing, but um, it's one of the issues cities have with the Department of Revenue is figuring out... It's how you divvy up sale, local sales tax. Who, who's yeah. paying what, right? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't want them to have less staff there and give us less information. I was also concerned with the part the cuts to public health. I happen to be the city representative on our local public health uh, board. And they struggle right now to fill any of those positions because the state level of salaries are so much lower than anybody could get hired uh, to be a doctor or a nurse elsewhere. Um, so further cuts there are are very concerning. You know, GBI cutting uh, investigators and scientists in their labs. Um, you know, all of our court cases, um, it, it's not like you see on TV. Uh, you don't get the results uh, this afternoon. Uh, and the, the, my understanding is those labs are already um, somewhat understaffed and over overworked. Okay, uh, so Jim, uh, Katie Dempsey made a statement early on in this part of the conversation that I think really speaks to what a lot of the House leaders are feeling, which is this is the beginning of a process, <laughs> and, and I think that's what we're going to watch unfold in the in between now and when the session begins, right. and, and we and, start seeing the plans. Right, and what you have to remember is is as as, as Ms. Dempsey pointed out, this is Brian Kemp's full first full budget. Yeah. And, of course, uh, the, the most experienced figure in the state capitol right now is House Speaker David Ralston. Yeah. And the House is the first one to tackle the budget. You, but, they get the biggest say-so over the all budget. All right, the final word on we this. We do. <laughs> okay, then here's the final. Claim it. Do we, are we setting up, is this be setting up now as a really rocky session because of this? Between the speaker and the governor's office, potentially? I think we'll know in the next next two two months or so. What do you I, think, Katie? Um, I would not think so. I, from all indications I have, they're actually on the same page. Oh, okay. We're just trying to all get to the same place with the most information possible. Um, you know, we may know a little more next week because we have House and Senate budget hearings scheduled for next week, and they're still on the calendar. Ah, with who's going to show up? That there, <laughs> that that could be very revealing <laughs> right now. Wendy, last comment on well, this? Well, I'm telling you, if you cut... Uh, funding for sexual assault centers and domestic violence shelters and accountability courts and money for child and elder care abuse research. Um, I know a lot of people who would enjoy campaigning on those cuts. Well, you've just cut most of the budget that I work with, too. Oh. I know. Just know that I'll be working on it. Why it surprises me. All right. Let's do this. Uh, Why don't we get another break out of the way? Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk about an interesting 
interpretation of a rally, Jim Galloway, that took place up in Dahlonega <laughs> over the weekend. And then we're going to uh, hear from Robert Jimison, who went to Birmingham to see Joe Biden give his speech at the 16th Street Baptist Church. We'll do that after these messages. This is it. Today is the last day to support GPB and enter our drawing at gpb.org to win a King and Prince getaway for two to St. Simon's Island. The lucky winner will enjoy a three-night oceanfront stay, scrumptious meals, and a round of golf courtesy of the King and Prince Beach and Golf Resort. With program costs on the rise, your donation now will make a big difference. So please go to gpb.org and click donate and thank you. On the next Fresh Air, two New York Times reporters who covered the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearings investigate parts of the story that weren't covered in the hearings. They also spoke to people who were not interviewed in the FBI investigation. We talk with Robin Pogrebin and Kate Kelly, authors of The Education of Brett Kavanaugh. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 right here on GPB and online at gpbnews.org. Jim, there was a white supremacist rally in Dahlonega, Lumpkin County, over the weekend. It attracted 35 maybe uh, people, according to the reports that we've seen on it. Those rallies tend to get a lot of advanced publicity. A lot of people get concerned. Hundreds of law enforcement people, unfortunately, have to spend a Saturday uh, dressed in riot gear in the hot sun. Uh, but typically, the, there's not that many people who show up. It's not Charlottesville. Uh, no, 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 no. There were about three times as many uh, counter-protesters. Yeah, there. and those counter-protesters, some were, I assume, really Antifa, which is a, fa- a radical opposition Anti-fascist group. Yeah. is, is, is yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, many of them were locals. Some of them were from Metro Atlanta, of course. So in some ways, we wouldn't even be talking about this now because it didn't develop into much of anything but for the way it was characterized by some elected officials in the counties who helped support the law enforcement uh, yeah, yeah, effort. By, well, by law enforcement officials. I mean, you had the Chattooga County uh, Sheriff, uh, Mark Shader. Uh, he posted a, a photo of himself and some uh, some of his colleagues on Facebook, and he says, doing our part to help our friends in Lumpkin County with the Antifa protests. Not the white supremacy protests, but the Antifa yeah. protests. And then you had... Uh, uh, the Lookout Mountain Judicial Circuit, uh, the the Drug Task Force, saying that, the, noting that they were there helping with the Antifa protest and the Patriot rally. Yeah. Uh, and and okay, let's, but 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 just to back up a little bit, this was this was organized by a fellow with a very strong KKK, a former KKK mm-hmm. member. Uh, he, he's very active on the on the uh, in the alt right, the white supremacy organization. Originally, they had wanted to. Uh, they had put uh, uh, Representative Doug Collins on the on the on the on the billing. Was it Doug Collins or? Okay, go ahead. It was Doug. It was okay. it was it was Doug Collins. You know, I mean, this is Donald Trump's chief chief advocate uh, on the House Judiciary Committee, and Collins said, "Oh no, I'm not going to this thing. There's t- there are too many white supremacists involved. We don't do that here." And so to have kind of to, to to have law enforcement give 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 uh, the 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 organizers of this rally a pass was kind of disturbing to some. Now you did have uh, Dwayne Brown who, who commanded uh, the commander of the the Lookout Mountain unit that I that I cited. He, yeah. he he came back and said, "Look, we did not intend any kind of endorsement." Yeah, Doug Collins' quote on why he backed out is this: "White supremacy and white nationalism have no place in our country. I will continue to now denounce any and all forms of." hate. For that reason, I will not be attending the event in Dahlonega, which has been organized by known associates of hate organizations. Wendy, the headline that uh, that Galloway's uh, folks at uh, Political Insider blog used was, no, there were not fine people on both sides of this. Right. Uh, it, it's fascinating how uh, things get twisted and turned lately. Down is up and up is down. It seems some days... Um, I think uh, the the folks who initiated the uh, demonstration uh, made clear their values, and there were a lot of people there saying we don't share those values. Uh, we had a similar situation in Rome a couple of years ago, and we had a a group trying to organize and figure out how to respond to it. We decided to call it "Turn Your Back on Hate," and we addressed them and in a orchestrated way, then turned our backs uh, on what they had to say and. Um, you know, there are a lot of ways to handle it. Uh, I thought the 
uh, it was clearly safe because there were way more people in uh, in SWAT gear, riot gear. There, Katie, there always are. I, I spent seven years as listeners who are regulars know. I spent seven years as the Southern Director of the Anti Defamation League. We monitored hate rallies. We were involved with law enforcement in uh, in making sure those those rallies were safe. And it's it's almost always the case that they don't develop into uh, uh, terrible situations. And law enforcement spends your tax dollars and mine right. uh, out there. But you have to, I guess, because there's always a potential for another uh, 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 Charlottesville. We're absolutely in a different time when so many issues are unpredictable and so many people that might be in attendance or just passing by could be. So, you know, I think that our hearts and prayers need to be invested deeply in our law enforcement and our first responders who are there knowing that they are there to protect. All right. I, I do think, again, the bottom line, Jim, is it's the, mis, the mischaracterization uh, in the aftermath. And, and the reason that that, it, that that's such an, a sensitive issue is is that you've got, you've got these alt-right white supremacist groups that can take these kind of uh, mischaracterizations by law enforcement and use them as proof that see the to say see law enforcement cops are on our side really they can't say it but they really are on our side and that gets to be very dangerous you mentioned Wayne Brown uh, and, uh, and the unit commander and uh, he said uh, the rally was called American Patriot rally this is in the aftermath right, right. of mm-hmm. this my agency has no control over the name of for the rally or uh, permit for it um, and then he says, as for the Antifa protest wording, this is the wording I received. But yes, there were many different counter-protesters at the rally. I spoke to many, including local residents. So yes, there were many different persons there for different personal views as counter-protesters. So here's an effort, maybe to, to you know, to maybe a legitimate effort to step back and say, I get the point. Right. Right. So I we give so. him credit for so. that. All right. Uh, speaking of all that, Robert Jimison, you were in Birmingham, Alabama yesterday at the 16th Street Baptist Church. It was a an important anniversary, mm-hmm. September 15th. What happened 56 years ago at that church? So 56 years ago at 1022 a.m. is when the explosives planted by three members of the Ku Klux Klan went off at the church, killing four girls in their Sunday school service. So the service yesterday was to commemorate um, that anniversary. One of the most infamous Mm -hmm. hate crimes of the civil rights era. Um, And uh, we should point out, because we're going to talk about the politics of Joe Biden being there, but we should also point out that the prosecutor of two of those uh, 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 bombers, was none other than uh, U.S. Senator Doug Jones. Who's been on the show. Who's been, yeah, Doug's been on the show, but more to the point, he also is able to talk about that as an example of how he has worked on behalf of civil rights Mm -hmm. uh, in in this country. Uh, So Biden came. So he delivered this, the remarks during the Sunday school service before the the 11 o'clock church service. And the big point of his message that he was there to present was that the hate that fueled that event in 1963 is still very present today. And he's, he used the, the examples of the Charleston shootings and Mother Emanuel AM's AME Church, the El Paso shootings, the synagogue shootings in um, Pittsburgh. Want to hear what he said? You picked a soundbite I did, for us. I did. We can hear a, what, a little bit of what Why don't we said. play it right now? The domestic terrorism of white supremacy has been the antagonist of our highest ideals from before the founding of this country. Lynch mobs, arsonists, bomb makers, lone gunmen. And as we all now realize, this violence does not live in the past. The same poisonous ideology that lit the fuse on 16th Street pulled the trigger at Mother Emanuel and unleashed the anti-Semitism, anti-Semitic massacre in Pittsburgh and Poway. We saw white supremacists gun down innocent Latino immigrants in El Paso parking lot with a military-style weapon declaring he would stop, quote, the Hispanic invasion of Texas. We have not relegated racism and white supremacy to the pages of history. 
Uh, Joe Biden in Birmingham uh, yesterday. How was the crowd and how did they respond? The crowd was, uh, the, the church was packed, as you can imagine, and they were, they loved everything he said. You know, and after covering Joe Biden a couple times and listening to a lot of his speeches, I will say, you know, he was in his element. This is where he does really well. He was on script, but, you know, he delivered a passionate remark. He was able to connect with the families. Before the service started, he walked in and he greeted the four families of the four girls who were um, victims of the bombing. And, you know, he's, he took time to talk to them. And so I think that's when you really see Joe Biden at his best. Jim, we know that uh, his the African-American vote right now is what is keeping Joe Biden in uh, first place in almost every poll we see of the, the national uh, numbers for president, maybe in South Carolina polling as well. Uh, so it is important for him to connect, as he tried to do yesterday. Uh, he's he's known for his sincerity and for being Uncle Joe. He's not a terribly inspiring speaker. No, no, but but I mean, look, he's got a a, a very tragic personal yes, history right. that that he that 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 other people can relate to. I mean, he has lost children. Uh, he has, you know, he he's, he has lost two daughters and a wife, and then the, and then, then he lost son. a grown lost a grown son. So there is that. The, the The question for Biden is, I mean, his 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 support. You know, I was uh, we we had Mo Ivory on on Friday, yeah. and I was just I was I was kind of impressed by the way she she kind of attached herself to to to, to Biden. Uh, I mean, he's very Biden has a very strong hold on older African Americans. The question is, can he relate to the younger ones, or or the 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 uh, uh, who who are looking for more than the acknowledgement that Biden gives? Yeah, Wendy, since you are a member of the DNC and presumably could end up voting at the convention in a second round and beyond. Uh, How did you feel about the fact that Biden does seem to continue to lead the polls, but when you start drilling down into crosstabs, when you get deeper into the research, uh, he's nobody's second choice for president. Uh, Can he really ride all the way to the convention on the strength of African-Americans, who older African-Americans who may or may not stay with him? Well, obviously, it's a critically important constituency in in the primary and, and frankly, in the general election also, if that constituency stays home. Uh, Democrats up and down the the ballot uh, have less chance of being successful, particularly here in Georgia. Um, I I, th- I think that uh, sort of the power that uh, Vice President Biden brings is when he is tackling these subjects that that are so broad and so full of of tension. Uh, and I think that uh, what I love too is not just describing uh, the negative, but he he did talk about the hate hiding. Right. And saying it, it never goes away and sometimes it crawl, crawls out. Right. Um, but the, he closed with we can also should realize that the revulsion to hate at its ugliest can summon the best in us, which leads me to think about the America of September 12th. Right. September 11th, we were all stunned and horrified and scared and seeking to find out if people we knew were safe. But on September 12th, we all came together as Americans. And and there's a chance that that can be a response. You saw that from a lot of people after Charlottesville and after Mother Emanuel and after El Paso. Right. Coming together. Katie, uh, Biden, whether he's an inspiring speaker or not, he's a speaker who does connect on a level of, we think, sincerity uh, with a lot of voters. Can the Republican Party do anything in the 2020 cycle to speak to African-American voters uh, in the same authentic way that Democrats can right now? Or has the party moved in a direction where that's just not possible right now? Oh, my. I think we do speak to African-American voters every day. Actually, there are many members of the party and also many voters that care very much about Republican conservative values. Are there you're still talking about an awfully small piece of the pie compared to the African-Americans who tend to vote Democratic, right? <laughs> Maybe in certain yes. places. No, no. I mean, Maybe again, in certain places. Let's, let's get back to science. There's math. And, 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 and again, but I, I think the, the leadership of the party, not Representative Dempsey, she's a, a loving, caring, kind person everywhere she goes, right? But the yeah. leadership of the party is, is, picks winners and losers a lot, and they're, they're not 
usually picking our friends in the African American community. If, if, if I could, I think there's exit polling that shows Johnny Isaacson uh, in his last race got 19%, which yeah. was pretty good. Right. That Nathan is. Deal got, I think, maybe 11%. Yeah. And Brian Kemp got much uh, a, a good deal less than that. In, okay. in the, well, in the, of course, he was divisions. running against a powerful African-American right, sure. candidate. But going back to what you were saying about this strategy of is he able to target younger African-American voters, I think the Biden campaign, they've spoken about it. They're not really gunning for that. They're really rooting their base and their strategy in the older, more conservative African-American Yeah, so voters. for the same reasons that uh, uh, some observers complain about the fact that Trump is only playing for re-election to his base, you might make that yeah. same statement about Biden if that's really the strategy. You talked to some people in the crowd yesterday. Yes, I, I spoke to a number of people after the service yesterday. One woman I, I spoke to, Marissa Dempsey, her husband was a pastor at another church in Birmingham. She was there with her son, um, and this is what she had to say. Seeing the segregation um, over the past three years has been very profound for us. 56 years after this happened, why is why is it still important, and why is it so important to you know take your children to a, a ceremony like this? I think just to explain our history, you know, for a child that wasn't even, <laughs> I wasn't even alive, you know, um, just to understand the depravity of the sinful nation uh, and world we live in, not just our nation, but um, Birmingham's just been really a very challenging place to live as far as segregation. We've never... We've, they've grown up in different towns throughout North Carolina. We've seen it some, but nothing like Birmingham. So um, how representative was she of the people you talked to? She was actually pretty representative. There were, there were actually, I should go back. There were, the majority were black people in the, in the congregation as yeah. they were members of the church. There were a number of um, white middle-aged parents, grandparents, and people attending. And uh, she was a white woman. Who, her okay. husband is a pastor of a white church that partners with a black gotcha. community church. Okay, okay. Uh, it's going to be fascinating, Wendy, to watch uh, this thing. Um, you as a superdelegate are not out there endorsing a candidate. Correct. Is we, that right? We are not prohibited from it, but many of us are trying to 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 be seen yeah. to as duck it. neutral to parties. I think the word you're looking for no, is to duck it. No, it's not to duck it. it. I, I'm trying, what I'm trying to do is get people to understand we have a, 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 we're blessed with a slate of really well-qualified people, and we ought to be talking about all these different issues that are super important and finding out where all these candidates stand. And this race is not over. Jim, we pointed out uh, on Friday show that uh, uh, Biden here in Georgia now has the support of more than two dozen members of the uh, Black Caucus at the legislature, including uh, Calvin Smyrie. He's also got Keisha Bottoms. Right. And Keisha, Keisha was at the, at the uh, Mayor Bottoms was at the uh, debate uh, in Houston on Thursday. Uh, she she worked the spin room with him, did a couple of events with him afterwards. Uh, she now says that uh, that, uh, hey, we, we might have a debate, a and presidential debate the, here in Atlanta. Now. Yeah, yeah. She's in the campaign trail this weekend for Biden. She'll right, be in right. South Carolina. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we are completely out of time uh, for today's show. Jim just brought up a really intriguing little morsel that uh, the uh, Democrats of Georgia now appear with Keisha Bottoms maybe leading them uh, to be looking to see if they can uh, lure the Democrats down here for a presidential debate. We'll talk about that as the week goes on on Political Rewind. In the meantime, Representative Katie Dempsey, uh, thank you. Uh, so much uh, for being here. Wendy, It's uh, Davis, it's a pleasure to have you here as well. You bring with you more Facebook followers than almost any, no, more than anybody else on oh, wow. this show. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Robert Jimison, thanks for your reporting and for going to Birmingham to get this story. And Jim Galloway, uh, I will see you again in about a week and a half or so. That's You're right. going to take yeah. off for a while. I am, I am. Good for you. Artists for us today. I'll be back again tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Hope to see you then.